This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. In Genesis 1.26, God refers to himself in the plural. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? He says, let us make man in our image. Now, why does he do that? Why does Moses write it that way? Is this the first verse in the Bible that teaches the Trinity? That's what some think. <laughs> It's not exactly what I think. In fact, there's eight possible views on what uh, that verse means, and we're going to look at all eight, and then I am going to present a ninth view, my own view. So uh, if you're curious, see what that is, stick around. Hey, listen, this episode of the One Verse Podcast is sponsored by someone new. For the month of December, the sponsor is potentially you. Look, uh, I have a a blog, and uh, it it reaches people all over the world, and uh, you are one of those people that it reaches. Um, Currently, it's reaching about 250,000 people per month, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that um, with a blog and the podcast and some of the books I write, it gets expensive, and it gets to the point where uh, right about now, it's costing me a little over $300 a month to produce all this, and uh, I I can't really afford it all. (laughs) So um, if you have benefited from it, look, it's no guilt, um, no pressure, no manipulation. If you've benefited from this podcast or from my blog or from some of my books and you want to partner with me, I would really appreciate it. You can just go to redeeminggod.com slash partner and uh, learn a little bit more there about my needs and about uh, one of the how, how you can partner with me and um, what your partnership will do to help spread this message, spread my podcast, spread the blog further around the world to help liberate people and their understanding of Scripture and their theology from the shackles of religion. So if that's something you want to do, I really appreciate it. Thank you in advance. With that out of the way, let's get on to our study of Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and why God refers to himself in the plural. Okay, so Genesis 1.26 begins the second stage of the sixth day of creation. Uh, We previously looked at the first stage where God created the animals, the beasts of the field, and so on. And this second stage is the pinnacle of the entire creation week. Uh, And and what is this pinnacle? Well, it's the creation of mankind, uh, the creation of the man and the woman. Uh, It's significant that uh, Moses has God creating mankind as the pinnacle of his creation. I want to talk about this first. Uh, In many of the other creation accounts of the time, such as the Babylonian, the Egyptian, Canaanite creation accounts, uh, we've talked about these a lot in the past, uh, the gods make the world, the, uh, the plants and the animals, and then somewhere along the way, it sort of differs from account to account, from religion to religion, uh, mankind is created sort of oftentimes as an afterthought or as just another one of God's, you know, the creation of the gods. Uh, In the Egyptian creation account, for example, the humans were created completely by accident. The gods didn't intend to create humans. It was a complete accident 
when uh, tears from the Creator God landed upon the earth. Um, so that, that's the that's the Egyptian account. They didn't set out to create the, the humans; it just happened when when the God cried. Anyway, um, regardless of how or when humans were created in these other creation accounts, the humans are never regarded as the pinnacle of the of creation. Uh, instead, the humans are created by the gods or used. Oh, hey, look at these humans we accidentally created. Let's. How can we use them? Typically, they are used as slaves to do the work of the gods. Uh, usually what happens is the gods set out to do the work, uh, everything that's involved in keeping this world running, tending the plants and animals and, and uh, taking care of the waters and guiding the weather and all that other stuff. And eventually they get tired of doing all this work. And so they say, hey, Let's use these humans to do the work. And so um, the, the humans are, they're not the pinnacle of creation. They're the slaves of the creators, of the gods. Uh, in the Babylonian account, the Enuma Elish, um, the climax of, of that creation account, the crowning achievement of that creation story is the temple uh, being built for Marduk, uh, the creator god. And uh, the humans are really an afterthought in that story also. But So here in, in the Genesis creation account, in Moses' account, it's really significant that he has the creation of human beings being the crowning conclusion, con- the crowning achievement to the creation work. It's not, it's not a temple that is the crowning achievement, but uh, the, con- the construction, I guess we could say, of human beings. And that's significant on multiple levels. Uh, first, we see that from the very beginning, God, look, he, he's not all that concerned about religion. Even from the very beginning of the Old Testament, uh, one of the themes of my blog is to help rescue or liberate people from the shackles of religion. And, and here we see that even in Genesis 1, God is not even that concerned about religion. Religion has sort of three central themes. There's, uh, uh, they're usually, religion is always centered around a temple or a building. Uh, sacred rituals and rules, and uh, then a sacred ruling class, such as uh, priests or clergy. But here in Genesis 1, we don't have any of that. All we have is God and the humans he created with whom he wants to have a relationship. So, in other words, uh, the pinnacle of God's creation is not a religion, but a relationship. And Moses is going to build on this idea quite a bit more. We'll talk about it some here uh, today and, and next week, and also when we get into Genesis chapter 2 and 3. This, this idea of God wanting a relationship, not a religion, it really becomes a prominent theme in these opening chapters of Genesis. But there's something else that's significant about humans being the pinnacle of God's creation uh, rather than a temple. Uh, because technically, as we learn later, like in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, in creating humanity, God did, in fact, create a temple for himself. Uh, Paul indicates uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are the temple of God. So it's very interesting that while other pagan religions from that time, and even today, uh, sort of have temple construction at the, the top of their priorities, the top, the most important thing. Like, you've really arrived in your religion when you have a big temple to your God. Uh, in the creation account, the climax of the creation week is not the construction of a temple, but the construction of the temple of the Holy Spirit, people, humans, man and woman, made in the image of God. You and I are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. 
You and I are the, the, the representatives of God on earth. You are the sacred space. Uh, In you are God's sacred rituals. You are the sacred and holy priests of God. That's what you are, all wrapped up into one. I suppose in a way we might say that humanity is God's religion. Uh, Our relationship with God and with each other is what God's creation, uh, is what this religion of God is all about. There's no other religion other than that. Our relationships with God and with each other are the sacred temple of God. Our relationships are sacred space. Our relationships are sacred rituals. Now, all of this is brought out in more detail in Genesis 1, 26-31. It's emphasized even more in Genesis 2. Uh, The point of creation, as we will see, is not for God to create servants for himself. Sometimes that's the way we think, uh, and that's definitely the way the religions in Moses' day think or thought, but it is not what God says. It is not why humans were created. Uh, It's not why humans are placed on this earth. No, uh, the, the point of creation is for God to create beings who will love one another and love him as he loves them. The uh, creation account of Genesis 1 and and Genesis 2 are about the inauguration of relationship, not the inauguration of religion. Anyway, I'll try to point some of that out as we work our way through Genesis 1 through 3 and how those focus more on relationship rather than religion. And in fact, uh, that forms a huge foundation, critically important foundation for understanding the law of God that comes later on in Exodus. Anyway, hopefully eventually we'll get to that as well. Uh, But it's so important here to understand that from the very beginning, God did not want or did not create a religion at all. Uh, He created a relationship. Uh, and we're going to see some of that truth, in fact, right here in uh, the opening words of, of Genesis one twenty six. So uh, let's just get to it. It's what I sort of teased you with at the beginning of this episode. Now, um, Genesis one twenty six. They have it has numerous issues that need to be dealt with. Uh, lots and lots of questions about these verses. We're going to just deal with one in today's episode, and then like next week, we're going to talk about this issue of dominion. Uh, the week after that, we'll talk about the image of God. I think that that might cover it for uh, the rest of Genesis chapter 1, those three issues, Uh, but we'll see as we go along. Uh, The issue today, then, is really this issue of why there are plural pronouns for God in Genesis 1.26. And if you don't care, listen, just keep listening because it becomes critically important, super important. Um, The text says this. uh, In in the text, God, uh, before he sets out to create humans, he says this. Let us make man in our image. So, uh, what does Moses mean, or what does God mean by saying this? Um, Moses, the one writing this, why does Moses refer to God using these plural words, us and our? Well, um, look, there's very little consensus among scholars. And in my research, uh, looking at all the commentaries I have on uh, this verse, I found, you ready, eight possible explanations. There might be more than that, but I was able to sort of summarize them down into eight. Now, I'm not going to bore you with long explanations on each each of those eight. I'm just going to uh, try to quickly summarize them for you can. So, the first view is uh, there's some Christians who think this really is the first reference to the Trinity in the Bible. 
And um, they, they say, see, uh, God's a plural. He's three in one. So uh, Trinity. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Moses didn't believe in the Trinity, nor did any of the early Israelites. So I really don't think that if we are trying to understand this text the way the original author understood it and the the way the original audience understood it, that we can read the Trinity into this text. They didn't understand it that way, and uh, so uh, we shouldn't either. Not exactly. We'll, We'll come back around to that point here in a little bit. Uh, so that's that's one view. Second, uh, some believe that Moses is using the plural form here to indicate a plurality of gods, uh, that there were multiple gods. And so when he says us and our, he's God is referring to me, God, and all the other gods. You know, us and our. And, and people say, well, that people back then, the argument is people back then believed in multiple gods, and this was sort of a mistake of Moses to throw this in here and. You know, I don't, I don't believe with that at all. I think that undermines everything else Moses has written in Genesis 1, everything else Moses writes in the rest of the Pentateuch, uh, especially this idea in Deuteronomy 6 about God being one and the Ten Commandments, I'll have no other gods before me, okay, all that other stuff. Uh, I just don't think that view can be correct. So uh, some people modify that for a third view and sort of, again, have this idea of a heavenly council or divine council. Uh, But this time, it's not God and other gods, it's God and his angels, God and other heavenly beings, or we could put it that way. So the us and our refer to God and the angelic host. That might be possible. Uh, Fourth, though, some believe that uh, the, the, the plural pronouns refer not to God and heavenly angels, but to God and everything else he's created so far, such as God and the uh, animals, God and the fish and the birds, and God and creation. So uh, God is now going to make the pinnacle of creation, and so when he says us and are, he's including the rest of creation in that. Let us, uh, me and everything I've created so far, create Man and and man is formed out of the dust of the ground, and so he, you know, in a sense, God is speaking to the ground. Maybe I suppose, in um, in this view. Anyway, uh, that's a fourth view. Uh, fifth, and this is a common view. Some believe Moses is using a plural of majesty. Yeah, sometimes when you watch movies, or even today, even if we don't have kings, we don't have kings here in the United States. But sometimes when you listen to the President Obama talk, and you're, he's talking about a decision he has made, or his cabinet has made, or whatever, or just the government in general has made, he uses the plural. Uh, we have decided, you know, he might say, and, and go on from there. Well, uh, who decided? Did he decide? Was he the deciding factor? You know, um, now now we have a different form of government now, but even back when it was just a king making all the decisions in a monarchy, typically they would always, or often I should say, refer to their decisions in the plural. We have decided to go to war with France. Well, we, there was no we, it was the king himself decided. Okay, so, um, that you know, we have decided to raise taxes. Well, no, it isn't. <laughs> You notice that your coffers were getting empty, so you decided to raise taxes. Um, now, plural of, that's a plural of majesty. It is used that way. You can see it in Genesis 11.7, Isaiah 6.8, and other places. Uh, I sort of like that view, but again, it's not my view. Uh, sixth, then, some people uh, think that this is called a plural of a deliberation. Uh, you and I might do this all the time. If I am trying to decide what to do today, and I am all by myself in a room, I might begin my decision-making process by saying something like this. Now, let's see. What should I do? Uh, And did you notice how I started that? Let's see. Let us see. Well, who's the us? 
There's no us. It's just me. I am trying to decide. But notice how I used a plural to refer just to myself and what I should do. That's a plural of deliberation. Uh, We do that all the time. You know, let's see. Should I stay home for vacation or should I go camping? And I'm trying to decide. Let's see. Should I buy this or should I buy that? Okay. So that's the plural of deliberation. Some people think that is what God is doing in Genesis 1.26. Seventh, there's the uh, plural of fullness. This is just sort of similar to some of the others, but this is the idea. uh, It's kind of like the Trinity, but not quite. This is just that God is referring to himself in his fullness, you know, because God is the God of gods, the King of kings, and there is no other. Everything's wrapped up in him. He alone is God. He can refer to himself in the plural, and it's just referring to his majesty and his greatness and his glory and, and his completeness, his fullness. Uh, and that's, that's a view as well. Um, the view notes that uh, back in Genesis 1-2, it does refer to the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so, you know, it sort of ideas when God speaks to himself in the plural, he's just talking about the fullness of himself. Uh, eighth, then, we have, um, the eighth view is that Moses was uh, really just, all he was doing was trying to call attention to what is about to happen in the text. The, the plurals really have no other point in this eighth view than sort of a trumpet, trumpet blast. You know, pay attention, look at this, something amazing is about to happen. And, and this idea is, is it, it just emphasizes the fact that the creation of the human beings on day six is the pinnacle of the creation week. And so uh, this idea here is really sort of an underscore. It's a, it's a, hey, readers, sit up and take notice. Something is important. Something important is about to happen. That's the eighth view. So uh, those are the eight views that I found. Uh, which one do I believe? I like parts of all of them, uh, even the Trinity view. Well, I'm not a big fan of that idea of uh, there being multiple gods, but I see where they're coming from on that. But um, my view is none of the above. I have a ninth view, which is my own. I've read it nowhere, uh, but it's my view. And uh, so let me suggest it. Let me explain it to you. And then you can take it or leave it or uh, help me add to it or clarify it or whatever you need to do in in the questions and comments for this episode. I'm calling this ninth ninth view the uh, plural of relationship, or maybe I could call it the plural of love. Uh, As I said, I am convinced that one of the key elements of the creation week, of the creation of mankind, and of the opening chapters of Genesis, and of the Bible as a whole, uh, and especially this idea of being made in the image of God, which we'll look at next week more and the week after that, is that we were made to exist in relationship. I believe that one of the primary reasons God created mankind is because he wanted a relationship with us. Since God is a relational God, he creates relational beings so that we can have a relationship with him and with one another. Uh, And so when we read God saying, let us make man in our image, there at the beginning of Genesis 126. I personally think that all the arguments about the grammar and the theology and all that really sidetracks us from the real point that Moses was trying to make, the real significance of these words. And and it's this, that that God's a relational being and and he wants to exist in a relationship with us. Let me put it another way. Um, A relationship does not consist of me, myself, and I but instead with we, us, and our. If I want to talk about relationships, I am not going to use 
first-person singular pronouns for myself, me, myself, and I. Instead, I'm going to use plural pronouns when I want to talk about relationships. We, us, are. And so I think that by opening Genesis 126, by beginning to talk about the creation of mankind with plural pronouns, Moses and, and God is telling us that a relationship is about to begin. Um, God desires mankind to live in relationship. And, and when he sets out to create mankind in his image, he uses plurals, us and our, to indicate that relationships are the central goal, the primary purpose for the creation of mankind. Now, it's not the only support I have for my view. Uh, it's further supported by uh, the phrase at the end of Genesis 1.27, where we read that when God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So, so what does God create when he creates mankind in his image? He doesn't create a single person. He creates two people, a male and a female, in a relationship together. The image of God is not a he, it's a them. The image of God is a them. The image of God is a relationship. Now, there's more to the image of God than just that. Again, we will talk about that in future weeks. But uh, when God created mankind, he did not create an I. He created an us. He created a we, a them. And I think that in looking at men and women, uh, Moses had to decide how both partners could be created in the image of God. Uh, Later in Genesis 2, we see that uh, Moses says it is not good, or or God says it is not good for man to be alone. And and so Moses recognized that, and, and Moses recognized that, well, If it's not good for man to be alone, then it also must not be good for God to be alone. Therefore, God has to be in us. Otherwise, there is a deficiency in God. For God to create a we in the image of God, there had to be a we in God first. Does any of this make sense? Um, Look, Moses couldn't talk about both men and women being created in the image of God without talking about how they, plural, were created in God's image. Uh, And if God's image was a plural they, then God himself must also be a plural we. So, uh, anyway, this is the plural of relationship. It's my view. Uh, It's the relationality of God. Um, It's something sort of that can be extrapolated back from the relationality of the, the male and female, which God created in his image. Now, how Moses worked it all out, what exactly Moses thought, I, I don't know. Maybe he didn't know. I, I do believe, though, that, that, that Moses saw something in God's creation and knew that God's creation must therefore teach us something about God. Uh, if God's creation is relational, then God must be relational. Therefore, I need to use relational terms to speak of God, us and our. Uh, so, uh, God created male and female. He created them. Now, I, I have a little bit more to say about this. Um, But before I get to that, I do want to talk about how the idea that male and female are together were created in the image of God, it would have been quite shocking for the people in Moses' day to hear that. Back then, uh, in fact, even sometimes today and uh, throughout most of human history and even in many cultures today, um, men have ruled over women and have dominated them. And often throughout cultures, men have thought that they were superior to women, uh, were smarter to women, and that that women were nothing more than property of men to be treated as the men wanted. But here, by stating that the men and the women were created together in the image of God, 
Uh, Moses is sending a shockwave to that entire male-dominated way of thinking. Uh, Moses is putting women on equal footing with men. From the very beginning, here in Genesis 1, we have a statement of the equality of men and women before God. Now, the Bible uh, often gets accused of being sort of sexist and uh, male-oriented, and let's be honest, sometimes it is. Uh, But at the very beginning, from Genesis 1, uh, it was not that way. Men and women are equal before God. They are together made in the image of God. It's not that Adam's in the image of God and then also Eve is in in the image of God. It's that they are together in the image of God. That's That's how the image of God was created, male and female. He created them. Uh, And so uh, there was this mutual interdependence. Anyway, the point is, um, the women are raised up, elevated here to be equal footing with men before God. But the the ultimate point is one of relationships. Uh, And it goes right back to what what we're seeing here in Genesis 1.26 about the plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image. And, And when he does this, he doesn't just create a man, he creates a man and a woman, a male and a female. And he creates them equals in relationship. So uh, that's my view. Take it or leave it. It sort of uh, takes a lot of the strengths from the other views and wraps them up into one uh, with a focus sort of on the overall context of the passage, remaining on the fact that uh, God is seeking a relationship with human beings. The only question really, uh, and I'll try to wrap this up, about this view is uh, what kind of relationship God was in prior to his creation of mankind. Uh, And again, what did Moses think about that? I don't know. I sort of suspect that Moses asked the question here. This is a question that Moses is asking, but which he doesn't have an answer for. Now, we get an answer. You and I get an answer later on, especially when we get to the New Testament, with the doctrine of the Trinity, this three-in-oneness. So, um, that's how God can exist in relationship prior to the creation of mankind. So, maybe you're confused, because I sort of said earlier that Moses did not believe in the Trinity. That's right, he didn't. But I think that what he's doing here is he's sort of recognizing something beyond himself, that God creates a relationship, and therefore God, when he creates a relationship, uh, he's creating us in the image of God, so therefore God must exist in a relationship. Moses doesn't know how that worked, I don't think. So, he leaves it as an unanswered question. But you and I, we have the answer to that question Later on. In fact, I think that relationships, the eternal relationality of God, is one of the great proofs, biblical proofs, logical proofs of the Trinity. I wrote a whole article on this on my blog, um, and uh, I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. You can go, go read it more here. Moses is just asking a question. He notices something about creation, about relationships, about men and women being made in the image of God. He's raising the question. He doesn't have an answer. Um, and, but we, we can look back and we can see the Trinity in it. We're going to talk a lot more about this in future episodes, especially its idea about the image of God in mankind. But for now, let me just close with this. God has existed for all eternity in a relationship. And as we've seen today in Genesis 1.26, when God sets out to uh, complete creation, to finish the the creation week, to to bring about the pinnacle of his creation. What does he create? Not just a male and a female. He creates a male and a female together in a relationship. What this means is that God loves relationships. 
that the goal of creation is not just to create human beings, but to create relationships. So if you want to experience God and exist where God exists, guess what? You can do this by living in relationships with other people. To meet God and get to know God, just love people. Let them love you. Be with them. Laugh with them. Eat with them. Cry with them. Rejoice with them. God's a relational being, and he made you and me to be relational. So when we're relational, we exist where God exists. So look, go out this week. Hang out with your friends. And recognize God is there. Cuddle with your wife or your husband and watch a movie. And when you do that, recognize God is there. Not in any freaky sort of way, creepy. No, don't think of it that way. He's there enjoying the movie with you. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something and I won't. Uh, look, take a walk with your kids around the block. And when you do that, recognize God is there. Let loose a little bit at work with all your deadlines and responsibilities. Instead, sit around the break room with a cup of coffee and tell jokes to some co-workers. Big smile on your face, laughing at the stories they tell, learning about their families and spouses and kids and hobbies. Why should you do that? Because God is there. God has made us in his image, and that means all sorts of things. We'll talk about more of those in the future, but the first thing to be in the image of God, it means that since God is relational, you and I also are relational. And if you want to experience God, then Live life with other people in relationships. Hang out with other people, because that is where God is. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the One Verse Podcast. If you did, and if you benefited from it, please share it with your friends on Facebook or Twitter or one of the other social sites, or if you have a blog, maybe even a little blog post about it, then send me the link. I'll come comment on it and read it. I really appreciate it if you do that. Also, if you haven't done so already, a rating and review on iTunes would be much appreciated. Thank you for those who've already sent one or put one on there. And uh, look, if, if uh, you want to become a partner, let me remind you once again, go to redeeminggod.com partner and uh, set to learn about the ministry and mission, why I write, what I do, what I do. And uh, why I'm asking for those who feel so led to uh, join with me in helping spread this message to other people around the world. Next week, we're going to continue looking at Genesis 1, 26, 27. We'll even get up into verses uh, 29 or 28 through 30 a little bit as we talk about this dominion that God has given you, you and I over his creation. Join me then. It's going to be fun. See you next time. Bye.